KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Progress has been made with containing two of California's largest wildfires, the CZU complex in Santa Clara and Alameda counties and the LNU in Napa and Sonoma counties are both at 35 percent containment. In Southern California, the Apple Fire near Riverside and the Lake Fire in Los Angeles are at 95 percent containment respectively. The heat wave that's been bearing down on California is expected to last through today, but cooler temperatures are expected for the weekend. To see the latest on the fires, go to kpbs.org and fire.ca.gov. Also, Governor Gavin Newsom is expected to announce plans for reopening businesses that were shuttered in July amid soaring coronavirus cases and hospitalizations. The steps he announces today could move the state slowly back towards normalcy heading into the fall. You can hear the governor during his teleconference on KPBS beginning at noon. A federal judge has denied a motion from the Kumeyaay Nation to stop construction on the border wall. District Court Judge Anthony Battaglia said the tribe did not provide enough evidence to put an immediate stop to the construction. The Kumeyaay say the federal government hasn't properly consulted with them about the burial sites and other parts of their cultural heritage impacted by the new border fence. Michelle LaPena, a lawyer for the Kumeyaay, says they would continue their lawsuit demanding that the government consult and advise with Native tribes about the sensitive sites. We're asking for the court to order the government parties to initiate consultation. The construction of the new 14-mile section of the border wall is already more than 50% complete. As California battles record wildfires, Democratic state lawmakers are proposing a $3 billion measure to help mitigate future blazes. The bill was unveiled with only a few days remaining in the legislative session. Senator Bill Dodd says the state's cost to fight fires seems to grow each year. But if we're going to get serious about this with climate change and all that's really impacting Uh, our state, we're going to have to put in some money for mitigation and prevention. The bond would extend a utility bill surcharge implemented last year until 2045. The fee charges most of the state's electrical customers about a dollar a month, which is paid into a wildfire fund. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, August 28th. This is San Diego News Matters from KPBS News, a daily morning news podcast powered by all of the reporters, editors, and producers of KPBS. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. 
Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Just days before the start of the new school year, the La Mesa Spring Valley School District terminated its contract with the company providing one of its online learning platforms, citing reports of racist and inappropriate content. KPBS education reporter Joe Hong spoke to administrators about this last-minute change. One video on the virtual learning platform Acela shows an animated bear and duck asking their classmate how she got the name Sweetie Lips. The classmate, a female pig, replies, don't ask, we're not even going there. In another lesson, students are asked, Osama bin Laden was the leader of what terrorist group? One of the multiple choice responses is Taliban. Another question portrays abolitionist Harriet Tubman as a criminal. Deanne Ragsdale, an assistant superintendent at La Mesa Spring Valley, said she read a news article from Hawaii that reported on these materials from Acellus, a Kansas City-based company. Ragsdale said the program was recommended to the district by the San Diego County Office of Education. Music Watson is the chief spokeswoman for the County Office of Education. She clarified that her office did not officially endorse the CELIS. We had one employee who recommended this based on personal experience. Uh, she won't be doing that anymore. And we're working internally to clarify and make sure that all of our employees are familiar with our process for vetting different technology systems. The La Mesa Spring Valley School District has not yet set a date for reopening campuses. Joe Hong, KPBS News. Having a baby during COVID-19 comes with a lot of questions, like, is it safe to breastfeed if mom has been exposed? Health officials say the answer is yes, it is safe. But lactation advocates worry confusion during the pandemic is making black and brown women less likely to try it. CAP Radio's healthcare reporter Sammy Kayola has more. Early in the pandemic, new moms were getting a lot of mixed messaging about this from doctors and public health officials and on the web. Tanifer Kamara is a lactation consultant in Oakland. Some people were told, you know, not to breastfeed. Other people were told that if you are going to breastfeed, you need to wear a mask, you need to wash your breasts, sterilize your milk. It was like all this stuff making it sound really impossible. Now, major health groups say breastfeeding during COVID-19 is encouraged, even if a mom is positive or may have been exposed. Professor Tyra Gross has been looking at this issue at Xavier University of Louisiana. Even if there is disease transmission, previous studies before COVID have shown that breastfeeding helps babies' health and development in general. But only 61% of black moms in California start breastfeeding at the hospital, compared to 81% of white moms, according to state data. And Kamara says breastfeeding consultants largely haven't been available during the pandemic. And so people were being pushed out of the hospital a lot sooner, or they just didn't have access to lactation support. Black Breastfeeding Week continues through the end of this month. Black women say it's a crucial opportunity to have positive conversations on the topic. In Sacramento, I'm Sammy Kayola. A San Diego charter school superintendent was quietly fired in June amid reports of misconduct. As iNews Source investigative reporter Jennifer Bowman explains, he may collect a hefty payout anyway. 
Records obtained by iNewsource show the O'Farrell Charter School fired its superintendent, Jonathan Dean, after he was accused of misconduct involving a female staffer. Dean collected nearly $100,000 in salary as the Southeastern San Diego School investigated the claim against him. He's now eligible for a quarter million dollars in severance. Details about the alleged misconduct have not been disclosed, and Dean denies any wrongdoing. He's now in a legal fight with the school and says he hasn't received severance. That was iNewsource investigative reporter Jennifer Bowman. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. Professional athletes have been boycotting basketball, baseball, and soccer games following the police shooting of a black man in Kenosha, Wisconsin. It started when the Milwaukee Bucks, whose home arena is an hour away from Kenosha, refused to leave their dressing room for an NBA playoff game in Florida on Wednesday night against the Orlando Magic. The Seattle Mariners voted to cancel their game Wednesday in San Diego against the Padres. Pastor Greg Hendricks of the Rock Church East County is a former pro basketball player and assistant coach in the NBA. He spoke to KPBS Midday Edition host Mark Sauer about being a black athlete when racial discrimination leads to protest. Here's that interview. It doesn't surprise me because uh, a lot of the players were really struggling with coming to play and it wasn't because they weren't in shape or they didn't want to play. It was the fact that they were really heartbroken by all these issues that uh, the community was facing in regards to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And and now you, you have Mr. Blake. The heart to really prime their heart to come and compete at the highest level for all these athletes uh, was something that they had to figure out. Not to mention you have COVID-19 and what does that look like? So to see the response now, I'm very proud of how all of the athletes have united together across all the sports and say, hey, this, this is not right. It's just inhumane. No matter what the, what the color of your skin is, just inhumane that a person would be treated like this or someone has to die like this. But what you're seeing is unity and that we need something to happen. We can't just wear the shirts, take the knees. We need to start seeing action. I want to follow up a little bit with that. I want to play a, a, a little bit of what NBA superstar LeBron James said yesterday. Let's, let's hear that. Black men, black women, black kids, we are terrified. Because you don't know. You have no idea how that cop that day left the house. You don't know if he walked on the good side of the bed. You don't know if he walked, walked on, the, on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe he just left the house saying that today is going to be the end for one of these black people. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. Now, does the fact that superstars like LeBron James are leading this protest, does that make it easier for other players to join in solidarity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a black male and I, I go for runs in the morning and I can't sit here and lie to you and tell you that I'm not looking over my shoulder when I'm going for a run in my neighborhood, you know, and I don't know if it's going to be a person. I don't know if it's going to be a police officer. And please hear my heart. I'm not saying any of the police not all police officers are bad. To LeBron's point, you don't know where the police officer may be at that day. And I think what would help is not to, defunding the police is not the right thing to do. What we can do though, is get them real good help and help so that 
when they do wake up or if they're having struggles with problems or something's going on in their life, that they have resources that can serve the police and strengthen them if they are in a situation that would cause them to make a bad decision in a very, very hostile situation. Black people, young kids, people of color, uh, Asian, Mexican, nobody wants, nobody wants to walk around in fear from someone who is legally there to protect someone. Finally, I wanted to come back to the, the bottom line question here. What's the significance of the sports world coming together like this? Do you think this boycott will lead to change? I honestly believe that people revere sports figures. They're, they're, they're modern day heroes to a lot of people. And sports figures have access to resources that maybe the common person may not have. And that includes the owners as well. They have access to people that know how to change the laws, know how to talk to the right people. And if the owners and the athletes are all on the same page, trying to seek healthy change to prevent something like this from happening again, and in order for us to really seek change, we have to really be band united. And that's from the owner all the way down. So to see this right here, I think will push the needle a lot faster and a lot stronger towards change and, and to help really write what change should look like, uh, how it should be healthy long term. Um, not only for uh, the African-American community, but for communities in general, as well as police officers. That was Pastor Greg Hendricks of the Rock Church, East County, who was also a former basketball player and assistant coach in the NBA. Coming up on the podcast, what happens when your commanding officer at a military air station drops a script on your desk and tells you to be the technical advisor for a movie that would be called Top Gun? None of us wanted to do it. We were pilots. We didn't want to take over working on a movie, right? But he did. The movie was made, and it became what some called the greatest military recruitment movie of all time. That story from the American Homefront Project is up next after this break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. It's been 34 years, but Hollywood's most recognizable fighter pilot, Pete Maverick Mitchell, will be back in the cockpit for a new Top Gun movie. Navy leaders say the original Tom Cruise film led to a recruiting surge, but it's not clear whether next year's sequel will have the same effect. From Los Angeles, Libby Denkman reports for the American Homefront Project. 
that's my Top Gun diploma over there. John Semkin was a Navy lieutenant, a fighter pilot, and a graduate of the Navy Fighter Weapons School's Top Gun program back in 1985, when his boss, the rear admiral in charge of Air Station Miramar, dropped, of all things, a movie script on his desk. None of us wanted to do it. We were pilots. We didn't want to take over working on a movie, right? But Semkin was outranked, so he became a technical advisor on the Top Gun set, teaching Hollywood actors how to be fighter pilots or at least look the part. I'll bring you to me closer, Merlin. You gotta do what? Like in the climactic dogfight at the end of the movie when Iceman and Maverick are doing some tricky flying to outmaneuver enemy MiGs. This is it, Maverick! I'm gonna hit the brakes, he'll fly right by. And that's when Tom Cruise says, John, he says, well, how do they know I'm pulling G's, you know? And I said, well, you gotta tighten all your muscles because you're trying to keep the blood in your head. Semkin says seeing his work up on the big screen gave him a lot of pride. For the Navy, Top Gun served another purpose. It was the best recruiting movie that you've ever seen. Commander Ronald Flanders is the spokesperson for U.S. Naval Air Forces. If you talk to a lot of the senior pilots in the Navy today, the captains and admirals, many of them attribute their interest in naval aviation to the original release of that film. The original Top Gun triggered a military recruiting boom, according to contemporary news reports. Movie theaters in Los Angeles and Detroit invited recruiting officers to set up tables in their lobbies to talk with moviegoers with stars and F-14s in their eyes. And this kind of synergy between Hollywood and the armed forces is by design. Each military service branch has a liaison office in Los Angeles that works with film and television producers. Lieutenant Colonel Brett Lee is the deputy director of the Army's Public Affairs Office in L.A. It doesn't matter if they're fighting like, you know, alien robots or they are discussing their job as a, as a Black Hawk helicopter mechanic. We want to see positive, accurate representations of what they do. With scripted productions like Top Gun, the Pentagon reviews the story and negotiates with the production company over whether the military will participate. The Top Gun Maverick crew was given access to two aircraft carriers and multiple Navy bases and installations. Actors got special training. The Navy says Paramount Pictures paid for all flight hours for aerial sequences. Why go to all this trouble? The film audience is made up of American taxpayers and potential service members. The depiction of a young army soldier in a film is going to uh, be much more profound than, say, even a 30-second commercial that we are producing. But it's a different world now, says Carl Forsling, who flew helicopters and tilt-rotor aircraft like the V-22 Osprey in the Marine Corps. Yep, Tom Cruise got to him, too. I remember when I was in eighth grade and I saw that movie, that's, you know, I immediately wanted to be a pilot. Forsling says this time around, the new Top Gun won't have the same juice at recruiting offices as the original. He wrote an op-ed in Task and Purpose on the subject, arguing it's all about context. In 86, the Vietnam War had been over for almost a dozen years. Young people who were recruiting age didn't have it as a touchstone. Ronald Reagan's Morning in America was in full effect. I think people were receptive to it. They had no direct observation of a war in progress to compare the movie-ready theatrics to. Today, the war in Afghanistan has been dragging on longer than many recruits have been alive. It's uh, combat on the ground, and, and most of the aviation fighting is either providing you know, eyes in the sky or occasionally dropping bombs on target, but very little of it's the glamorous air warfare you see in, in Top Gun. The Pentagon will have a while to wait. Paramount Pictures planned to release the sequel this summer, but the studio says it's committed to a theatrical release that's now scheduled for July 2021. 
That was KPCC's Libby Dankman. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Werner Herzog's new documentary is called Nomad, In the Footsteps of Bruce Chatwin. In it, the German filmmaker chronicles the life and explorations of his close friend, a writer, a nomad, and an adventurer. KPBS film critic Beth Accomando says it's another fine entry in Herzog's growing collection of nonfiction work. Bruce Chatwin was an author with a taste for nomadic life. He had an engaging literary style. Here he recounts a childhood memory about a piece of brontosaurus that was in his family. In my grandmother's dining room, there was a glass-fronted cabinet, and in the cabinet, a piece of skin. It was a small piece only, but thick and leathery, with strands of coarse reddish hair. It was stuck to a card with a rusty pin. On the card was some writing in faded black ink, but I was too young then to read. What's that? A piece of brontosaurus. My mother knew the names of two prehistoric animals, the brontosaurus and the mammoth. She knew it was not a mammoth. Mammoths came from Siberia. The brontosaurus, I learned, was an animal that had drowned in the flood, being too big for Noah to ship aboard the ark. I pictured a shaggy, lumbering creature with claws and fangs and a malicious green light in its eyes. Sometimes the brontosaurus would crash through the bedroom wall and wake me from my sleep. This particular brontosaurus had lived in Patagonia, a country in South America at the far end of the world. Thousands of years before, it had fallen into a glacier, traveled down a mountain in a prison of blue ice, and arrived in perfect condition at the bottom. Here, my grandmother's cousin, Charlie Millwood the sailor, found it. In the documentary Nomad in the Footsteps of Bruce Chatwin, filmmaker Werner Herzog pays tribute to a man he views as a kindred spirit who could craft mythological tales into voyages of the mind, something Herzog excels at in his films. The film is gorgeously shot and has delightful Herzog moments like this. He built this phenomenally ugly house for himself. That wasn't about Chatwin's house, but it's such a Herzog turn of phrase and delivery. The film's amazing, and I'm sure it would be even better on a big screen. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. That was KPBS's Beth Accomando. That's it for our podcast today. I hope you have a very good weekend, and thanks so much for listening.
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.